When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to another episode of Reaction Time, sponsored by our friends at Fairway. It is officially the end of the season. NCAAs are officially in the books. Um, Very sad. Um, Also, just want Chris and Jared to know that I am indeed using my mic today. (laughs) Um, So you guys get great quality uh, for listening to me talk. Um, but yeah, it's the end of the season. I've been dreading this, but also what of what a weekend of wrestling. I, by the end of it, I felt like just a dirty human because I hadn't left my couch and what felt like, <laughs> honestly, it was, it was days. I switched between leaving my living room and going and watching in my room. And yeah, Ben, how was your weekend? How was the NCAA watch party for you? Well, you did more than I did. I did. I was, I was planted on my couch the whole weekend. If I wasn't watching wrestling, I was watching basketball. But most of the time, I was watching wrestling. In fairness to me, on Thursday, I did go into work. So Thursday, I worked, actually, but sort of. I had wrestling on my computer. So in that respect, how much work did I actually get done? I don't know. That, that can be argued. But I was there in person. Um, but then Friday and Saturday, yeah, was, I think I left work early on Friday. I took a half day on Friday and then from Friday, from one to Saturday at what was it? 9 PM. I was pretty firmly planted on my couch, which was very enjoyable. I will say I, uh, on Thursday I had people asking like, Oh, what are you going to do this weekend? And I'm like, watch wrestling. (laughs) Like even on Friday, when I went over to a friend's house to watch the basketball game, I took up one of their TVs with wrestling and I just was like, give me the remote. Like, <laughs> I, I got to switch between mats. Like I'll, I'll take care of this. So you did the right thing. You know, I was, I was pretty happy. These are like non-wrestling people or casual viewers. Like they, they were definitely excited to see how the guys were doing when the game wasn't on, but it was nice to get my own TV. Cause I had my MacBook with me. I was prepared to watch on my computer. <laughs> So, but like I said, wrestling is now technically over and Iowa state had a very interesting start, but kind of, you know, rallied it out there on the, in the end, which from a work perspective, it was, you know, nice to say we got the day done on Saturday afternoon. Um, but Ben initial thoughts walking out of this weekend. Yeah. Um, Mostly underwhelming were my initial thoughts. Uh, we obviously had our predictions from last week and last episode, and I think I, almost all of them were wrong, which happens. <laughs> uh, that's why you should never talk into a microphone, kids. Uh, but yeah, I think it was relatively underwhelming. There were a couple of results that were, I mean, close to heartbreakers, and we'll talk about those when we get there. But then you had guys like Younger Bastida and Marcus Coleman who um, either outperformed what we expected or performed exactly how we thought they could wrestle, which 
that was great to see, especially for both of them for different reasons, but also the same reason. So um, that those two results were great. The rest were, they left you wanting more in my opinion. Yeah, I would, I would agree that I felt, you know, underwhelmed, but thankfully younger and Coleman um, were able to kind of bring in some of those expectations and excitement um, because three all Americans is pretty big for Iowa state, but. Yeah. And that's something we can talk about too, is I think both Jackie and I said three All-Americans was a really realistic expectation for Iowa State to have. So in that regard, they absolutely met our expectations. It was just, well, the process of getting those three All-Americans was um, up and down, we will say. (laughs) And there were a couple other results where we didn't expect a guy like Kyson Tarakina. We didn't necessarily expect him to be an All-American. But we expected him a few to win a few matches. Same with guys like Ian Parker, Jared Degan. We'll get to those. And they didn't quite get there. So it's just a few of those things where you'd like to see guys win a few more matches, get to the round of 12, get to the blood round, things like that. And those things didn't happen. So three All-Americans is right in line with expectations. But you'd like a few more of those other results to happen as well. Yeah, it was... Um... It was something else. I, uh, I, I wasn't feeling great <laughs> after Thursday. Um, it was kind of one of those just days that I was surprised. I try really hard to like stay, keep myself grounded. Cause I am definitely someone who can get caught up in things. Um, just the emotions of how exciting it is to be there. And then how I, you know, was able to watch these guys finish out the dual season. So I was a little surprised. Um, we can definitely jump into the brackets, but I mean, at 125, like you said, Kaisen, I, I, ex- I did expect him to win a little more, just like I felt the same way at big 12s. Yeah. Um, so it just kind of sucked to see that continue on at the NCAAs. Um, but like I said before, I think, because of who he's shown he can be, I am, again, not really worried, even though he clearly did not have a good tournament. Yeah, and that's, I think, part of the disappointment is in the first round, he wrestled Trevor Mastro Giovanni, who he beat in the dual meet. He lost this match 4-2. to two. Um, Kyson also beat Killian Cardinal of West Virginia, who's in the quarterfinals. He's beaten some of these top-end guys, but for some reason, he just seemed to, I don't want to say he faded at the end of the season, but he didn't perform as well as he showed he could have. He He's shown that he can perform at a high level. And he lost the two matches he wrestled this year in the, in the consolation side. He lost to Dylan Shaver of Rutgers in a, what was that match score? Six to four, something like that. So uh, that, that one's disappointing. That's a match you'd expect Kyson to win. If Kyson had beaten Trevor Master Giovanni, he, um, he would have wrestled – um, D'Agostino from Northwestern, that would have been a tough match. So who knows what would happen there, but, um, yeah, Kyson, uh, I, I would like to see him win a few matches. He obviously, he's a true sophomore. This is second time at the NCAA championships. I don't think he won a match last year either. So he's gone to two NCAA championships and I don't believe he's won a match. He might've won one last on the backside of the bracket. Um, I'd have to check, but I don't remember. Uh, so he hasn't had a ton of success at the championships. I'd like to see him. I would have really liked to see him open up, win a few matches and, um, get some postseason confidence under his belt. Yeah. I almost want to say like when coach hinted at the, just like the, 
little mistakes that were being made outside of the wrestling room. I feel like maybe he just kind of fell off a little bit in his training. And I can only imagine that when it comes to being a wrestler, you don't have very much room for error. And so maybe it was just one of those things where he kind of struggled to get back on it at 110%. You know what I mean? Cause he had such a solid start to the season. And then there like that, you and I match was just kind of not great. And yeah, I don't know. It just, I think he'll be fine, but yeah, like you said, two rounds at NCAAs and not the greatest performances. And maybe that can be improved if hopefully next season they're able to get more tournaments under their belt during the regular season. Yeah. More tournaments. That's a whole nother conversation for Iowa state. I don't know <laughs> if that's when we want to get in now, or we're planning on doing a postseason wrap up encapsulating the whole season next week. So that might be a conversation for next week. So I'll hold off on that one a little bit, but yeah, Iowa <laughs> state didn't, they didn't wrestle in an end season tournament and, I, I think there are things to be gained for wrestling in season tournaments. I know I always had a loaded schedule to begin with, so it had been tough to schedule, but um, that's one I'm really interested. In. If you talk to dresser in between now and then, um, if you, you talk to him, I'd be interested to hear his thoughts on scheduling tournaments and in season tournaments and things like that. Yeah, we should. I, okay. Actually we, maybe I should go pick his brain um, because yeah, I know that was a, I know for those, the diehard people, I know when I was reading the forums at CF, um, some people were pretty upset just about scheduling and how things kind of planned out. And there, the, to a certain point, there's only so much stressor can do. If things are being canceled, if just certain things aren't lining up, you know, he can't just force Michigan onto his schedule. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I just used Michigan as a random example, since I know that was something he had tried, but I definitely think dresser is not the only coach who's going to go into next season, trying to add more of those tournaments, because I mean, it, who's, who do we blame when it comes to, is it Midlands? Yeah. Midlands got canceled, got canceled last minute. And I know that dresser was counting on that. He had given a direct quote that I forget what loss it was maybe to Iowa or that was the only loss this season. So, yeah. Yeah, he said, we'll find out at Midlands because it was going to be a tough place to send your guys to and get a better feel for them. And then it gets canceled. What do you do? So, yeah, yeah, like you said, definitely can deep dive more into it. But um, Kyson is definitely someone who I think could have really um, benefited from having some of those under his belt. Um, but going in to an unfortunate end for 133 for Ramazan, um, Ramazan got hurt in his first match um, in the first period. Ben, you said you heard him on the oh, feed. Yeah, I did. It did not sound like a pleasant injury. No injury is going to be pleasant ever, but yeah, you could hear him yell and scream and scream out in pain. So, and the trainers were right there. They got to him pretty quick, looked like an arm injury. Um, and yeah, he injury defaulted in a minute, 13 seconds to, um, Michael Colacchio of Penn University of Pennsylvania. So uh, yeah, definitely a disappointing ending for him. Yeah. Especially because he was just so excited after his um, solid finish at big 12s um, in his post match interview, he said he was ready to go and prove himself and he wasn't satisfied with that finish. So it does suck to end an injury. Um, it doesn't sound like there's going to have to be any surgery, which is a plus 
So hopefully some downtime and healing can definitely help him. Um, I imagine if, because of who his favorite person to train with, uh, being Ian Parker, who Ian Parker isn't going anywhere. He's going to continue to, uh, what's it called? Train with Iowa state as he joins the CRTC. I imagine Ramazan's workouts stay pretty consistent with Parker's, um, intense regimen. So definitely, uh, hoping for speedy recovery for Ramazan because he looked pretty solid at big 12. So I was very excited to see what he could have done um, at NCAAs. Yeah. And the, the disappointing part beyond the injury, the disappointing part was um, if he would have beaten the Pennsylvania wrestler, he would have gotten Brian Courtney from Virginia, who is the 25 seed. Ramazan was the 24 seed boy that he could have had a chance there. He could have had a chance to beat Brian Courtney, get to the um, quarterfinals, wrestle Roman Bravo young, which would not have ended well, but <laughs> um, Roman Bravo young won the weight, by the way, he's number one seed from Penn state. So that, that match wouldn't have gone well for Ramazan, but if he could have stayed healthy against um, Colloquio, I, I cannot pronounce his name. I apologize. I think I'm pronouncing that close I to right, but I, I'm not sure. If he would have stayed healthy against him, made it a match, he could have had a chance against Brian Courtney from Virginia, and I would have liked his chances in that one. So disappointing end for Ramazan, um, especially because, like you said, he had been coming on late in the season. And this is just a side note. I don't know why I felt a little – I guess I I shouldn't say it like that. I decided to believe that Fix was going to win this weight. Mm. Um, I don't know why. I just like – I just felt – fix was on some momentum and I don't know why, because I'm a pretty big Roman Bravo young fan. So I don't really know why I felt that way, but Roman Bravo young one. So, um, no, I've, I've, I was on the Roman Bravo young train from the beginning. I have no idea right now off the top of my head, what year Dayton fixes, but I would just like him to graduate. Well, see, so here's the thing. I don't think he knows what year he is um, <laughs> because he took an Olympic year. He's taken his COVID year. He's taken a red shirt year. So he's taken about three red shirts now. Now, how many of those count? I think all of them, but uh, so I think he might technically be a sophomore. He'll be a junior next year. I think technically, but also he's like 22 years old. So yeah. You know, that is just, again, that's definitely a conversation for a different time. The whole like extra years everyone's getting. When I learned some of these guys ages, I'm like, holy crap. (laughs) (laughs) they're almost as old as us jackie like it just is so weird like we all made fun of willie mickless for that one year but now there's an entire bracket of willie (laughs) mickless's yeah and like i just look back at and uh, when i started covering the team i was in my last year of college and i graduated late i was one of the super seniors and like it's just weird how old they are now like looking at coleman i'm like you are like a fully grown person that could be out in the world right now with a full-time job. Yeah. But he'll be back next year. He will, which we can definitely get into that (laughs) in a few weeks, but uh, yeah, speedy recovery to Ramazan. But speaking of guys that were there when I started Ian Parker at one forty-one, not the ending I would have liked for him and not to go ahead, but for him and Jarrett Dagan, they both, we're not able to all American, which just brutal. Um, 
they've just been such staples to the program, um, both there from the beginning with their own different paths to how they got there. Um, so yeah, that just sucked. I feel like Parker just, I, in no way do I doubt his determination, his passion to be the best he can be. It just really sucked to see how those matches ended up for him. Yeah. Yeah. He lost his first match against Parker Phileas from Purdue and a match that going into it, I fully expected Parker to win relatively handily. Oh yeah. Um, and Parker lost by major decision 13 to five. Um, he did win his consolation match, but then he ran into Chad red from Nebraska, who I believe is now a five-time all American. Um, so, or maybe was Chad red an all American. Maybe he wasn't all American. No, Chad oh. red was not an all American. He had a chance to be. So Chad red had a chance to be a five-time all American. He fell short of that. And it looks like they're on a 12 or maybe not. Where did Chad red lose there? Oh, yeah, so Chad Red fell in the um, blood round, so he had a chance to be a five-time All-American, but he was a four-time All-American, which is still pretty darn good. So mm-hmm. that's who Ian Parker lost to. Not a bad loss in that one. It's just, man, it, to make your path as easy as possible, you want to stay on that championship side for as long as possible. And unfortunately for Parker, he dropped his first match, and then after that it was going to be a tough road to hoe. And he ran into another guy who was really, really good, who also lost a match he probably shouldn't have. You know, and that was like the case for a lot of people. So like, it's not just Parker. Like there was definitely guys in the back of the bracket that I was like, why are you here? <laughs> like, what is going on? Um, but I, it just sucks because Parker is just like, you know, he's been the golden boy to Iowa State opposing coaches have praised him. His training is just insane. Like at big 12s, when I ran into Parker's dad, it was like, after the first day, I was like, Hey, like, is Parker feeling better? Like, does he feel more like himself? And he was like, Oh yeah, he just finished a workout. Hmm. And it was literally the same day that he was just not feeling well in the beginning of the day. So it just sucks when you know a guy who lives, breathes and eats and everything is about wrestling and to just see him fall short of those goals. It just sucks. But at the end of the day, you got to win your matches. So. Yep. Um, and I mean, the same thing goes for Jarrett, but unfortunately for him, he had to start his last NCAA championship ever against his favorite person <laughs> um, from Oklahoma which is Willie McDougald, who unfortunately beat him. And again, yeah. And that just like, that hurt me for him because that would just piss me off. Like not only did I lose, but I lost to this guy. I just publicly went out and shamed for how he wrestles me, (laughs) which no offense, huge fan of Jared, but (laughs) that just, what a bitter, bitter way to end there. That's a bitter, really bitter pill to swallow. Um, McDougald, beat Jarrett three times this year. He beat him in the dual meet and sudden victory. He beat him at the big 12 championships on a last second takedown. And then the NCAA championships, he beat him 10 to seven. Um, and yeah, Jarrett got sent to the backside of the bracket and he lost his match down there. And unfortunately his tournament is over in two matches, 
But what you have to remember with Jarrett Dagan is he is an All-American. He is a first-team All-American during the COVID year, so technically a two-time All-American, but he has stood on the podium um, at an NCAA championships, and that's an incredibly impressive feat. He was Kevin Dresser's only NCAA qualifier, Kevin Dresser's first year. So Jarrett Dagan almost quite literally put this program on his back for Dresser's first two years being the only NCAA qualifier the first year and the second year being Dresser's first All-American. So um, you can't, I don't think you can diminish what Jarrett Dagan did for the program and has done for the program. Um, he was remarkable for a number of years, obviously injuries very obviously slowed him down. I don't know if what he would say about that or if he would admit to it, but um, I think there's a pretty clear difference between the Jarrett Dagan, his sophomore year when he was an all American and the Jarrett Dagan we've seen the last couple of years. I think he was wrestling injury free this year. I don't think mm -hmm. that's disputable because he didn't have the braces or anything, but um, even if you're wrestling injury free, those surgeries can take a toll on your body. And I think we may have seen that. I don't know that for sure. And maybe Jarrett would dispute that. And maybe I shouldn't say that, but um, from my perspective, I think if Jarrett stays injury free throughout his entire career, I think he is a multiple time all American standing on the podium. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. Um, I think so often we forget how hard just sports in general are on a body and especially wrestling. Um, I've said this before and I, I'm not trying to take away from anyone who's might be listening, who wants to argue with me, why another sport might be tougher, but wrestling is so hard on their bodies, especially Jarrett who has so many stories about his crafty ways of popping his shoulder back into the, into place <laughs> in the middle of matches in the middle of matches, he'd pop his shoulder back and when it popped out, that's yeah. Keep going. And, sorry. And that's something he did at NCAAs. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure yeah. he told me he popped it back in last year, last year. And I think, um, the, the year he injured it, the, the year he was an all American, he injured his shoulder. The first time it popped out in the second round match. So for him, he got to be an All-American with a shoulder that would not stay in his socket. He had off-season surgery, and it fixed it for a little bit, but then later that season, it kept popping out. So Jarrett Dagan is as tough as nails. Because at the first time, he said it was just excruciating pain. He had a bone chip. He had a bunch of problems <laughs> with his shoulder, torn labrum, all of it. And he wrestled through that, and he became an All-American. Now he kept that labrum didn't stay how it was supposed to. And he had to have surgery on it a second time, the same shoulder, same labrum. Um, and I think he said his bone chipped again. So uh, yeah, he's been through the ringer with his shoulder and it's, it takes a toll no matter what, even if it good surgery and he comes back as healthy as he can be, that shoulder is not going to be the same shoulder. You know, I, uh, I am writing a Jared Dagan story and I got to spend an hour with Jarrett and I got to spend an hour with each of the coaches and one of my favorite things. And I can't remember right now off the top of my head, if it was, I think it was St. John that might've said it. Um, and St. John and uh, Jarrett have a very special relationship in that Jarrett's been training with him for years. He uh, Jarrett or uh, St. John was a huge part of Jarrett's decision to transfer to Iowa state when dresser made that announcement um, or I guess when, when they found out right before practice that <laughs> <Dresser> was, <laughs> was going to Iowa state, but I asked Jared about it and Jared, 
he's like, I'd never even been to Ames. I'd never even thought about it. And it was just a no brainer for me. And my favorite thing that the coaches said, and really all of them said in a different, in different words, but Jared's the guy who was able to leave a legacy who you wouldn't have necessarily picked to do that. If you went up and down the lineup, I'm sure more often than not, people would pick Parker yes. over Jarrett. Yep. But Jarrett gets to leave certain records behind in a certain legacy where he brought success to Dresser in that first season and throughout, you know, the rest of his career. He was unconventional and he said one of the biggest things that made him feel so solid in following these guys is that he wanted to wrestle for someone who didn't change him. And they didn't. And so I love that even though Jarrett didn't have the career he wanted, and he, this is why he came back. He came back to improve the way he finished at NCAAs. And unfortunately he wasn't able to, but like he did so much for the team in a way that you wouldn't have expected the tall lanky kid <laughs> to do. And um, when I asked him like what he hoped people would take away from him or what they would think of when they thought of him or who he thought he was in the room. It all came down to who he was as a teammate. He felt he was able to really relate to these guys outside of the room and, you know, be the funny dorky kid who you might not see dead sprinting until 3am in the workout room, you know, but that you could have a conversation with at the end of the day that you could go hang out with and share a laugh in your dorms or your apartments. So I'd be lying if I wasn't cl very clearly a huge fan of Jared Dagan. And I think a lot of that is that I was very young when I started covering the team. So it's hard not to grow a certain attachment to the athletes that you cover for so long in great detail, <laughs> like Jared Dagan. So, yeah, it's hard not to be a fan of a guy like Jared Dagan for a lot of reasons. One, his style. Like you mentioned, the coaches did not try to change his style. And it's a very entertaining and unconventional style. You never really know what's going to happen. There are moments <laughs> where he looks very out of control and suddenly he's got his opponent on his back getting four count. So um, that in itself is very endearing. He just goes out there and he does what he does. And there's something to be admired and respected about that. And then, like you mentioned, Jarrett Dagan, I have never had a bad conversation with Jarrett Dagan. Obviously they're fewer and far between now. Back when I was a reporter, obviously pretty close to every week I'd talk to Jarrett Dagan at least. Now, I don't talk to him often, but I remember even before this football season, back when I was still a reporter, I was walking through the tailgating lots, um, getting ready to go up to the press box. And I walked by Jarrett Dagan, who was at a tailgate, and we had a good conversation for, I don't know, five, 10 minutes about how he was, how was the season, whatever, whatever, whatever. But he's <laughs> one of those guys where you can just have a conversation with. He's very likable, um, really, really good kid, and obviously a very entertaining wrestler. So um, obviously this year didn't end how he wanted it to, but his legacy, I think is pretty well cemented both in terms of on the mat and off of it. Yeah, he definitely is. Like, I think what I appreciate about him as an athlete that we covered is that he was a guy that you could talk to even after a tough loss. And he was completely open to any question. There's really nothing he wouldn't answer from you. And in my interview with him for his senior profile, I asked him, I said, how does it feel that? we give you so much crap for never getting the first takedown. <laughs> and he was just like, I mean, yeah, I love it. He just said that he loves seeing it on Twitter and that 
he was okay being the guy who never got the first takedown as long as he could finish, you know, like he can joke with you. And that's not saying that, you know, not to derail away from Parker because Parker's also just like one of the nicest, just a very nice person. And what I appreciated about Parker is that it doesn't matter who's interviewing him. He's going to like go into like detail of breaking down what he's trying to explain to you, what he was thinking, what he was doing. And I think the biggest legacy he'll leave is literally just showing guys what it takes when you walk through those doors, because every single coach has always said that his training is immaculate, (laughs) that he is the guy, the first guy in the room and start to start working out and will probably be the last. And I think when a guy like Ramazan, who's still very young in training, I'm sure Ramazan had, if I'm sure if we asked him, he can attribute a lot of his growth to Parker. Cause I know it was mentioned that at their like senior dinner or whatever it was, um, each guy got assigned a guy to talk about. And I guess Ramazan got Parker and Parker shared that a lot of what Ramazan said, like hit his, you know, hit at the heart. So I think both guys made different impacts and, and they're important impacts because as much as it is all about what you're able to do on the mat, you can't really find success on the mat if you're not doing well outside of it. So sad to see them go, but like I said, Ian's not going anywhere and I'm sure Jared Dagan will have a very nice, happy life riding off into the mountains (laughs) out in Montana. Good for him. Which is funny that you say you ran into him in the lots. Cause I ran into Jared Dagan in the tailgating lots as well, but I ran into him when I was, uh, Oh, I was also heading into the press box and he was, um, yeah, it was, it was very, very late. Like I was going in right about kickoff mm. and Jared was having a great time and his <laughs> wife was not vibing. She was yelling at him that they needed to head in. And he was like, too busy trying to socialize (laughs) so in typical Jared Dagan fashion. So, Uh, but we can definitely move on. Is there some other guys, great wrestling careers? I will have stories on both of them. So when I do release them, uh, please read them, enjoy them. Let me know how they, how they are. Um, But in a not so, not so happy story. Yeah. Something that we both very confidently and everyone confidently and the seedings clearly were confident. David Carr lost a match this weekend that pushed him to the back of the brackets. Ben, I want you to just like describe what was going through your head or how you were physically reacting to this match. Yeah. So to talk about that match, I think we have to talk about the first one. And the first one was against Derek Holschlag from you and I. And during the season, that was a match that David Carr did not win by bonus points. Derek Holschlag was able to keep that to a a regular decision. So in this match, I was looking to see what kind of David Carr we were going to see this weekend. David Carr comes out and wins um, 21 to 6 by technical fall. It's like, okay, great. David Carr is going to have a great tournament because I figured that first match would be an indicator of how he's going to wrestle. Second match, he gets Hunter Willits from Oregon State, who admittedly I had not heard of. <laughs> um, and from the whistle, Willits threw, threw it in reverse and just kind of kept David Carr at arm's length. 
It's like, oh, that's a strategy we've seen before from a few guys in the Big 12. I think David Carr will be able to handle that. And then the second period happened, and there was no takedowns. I think David got close um, at the end of the second period to getting a takedown, but time had run out. It's like, okay, David got to his legs. He'll be able to open up in the third. And then that didn't happen. So they went into sudden victory, tied at one. And it's like, okay, two minutes to get a takedown. It's got to get one now. Keep in mind, Willits had been backing up pretty much this entire time, and he had not been hit for stalling, which we can talk about that. Um, <laughs> and then it, nothing happens in the sudden victory. It's like, okay, tiebreakers. David Carr, known for his feet, but he's really underrated as a rider on top. So I'm like, okay, he'll probably get this. He's good at getting out from bottom. Uh, turns out that was wrong. So, uh, David got rode out in the ride outs. And then when it was his turn to go on top with, I think it was like one or two seconds left. He Willits got the escape and, uh, beat David Carr in the second round of the NCAA championships. And that was very, very surprising. Um, we can talk about stalling now if we want to, but, uh, yeah, that that reaction for me, I was in disbelief. There was no way that was ever going to happen. David Card won 54 in a row or 55, whatever it was at that time. There was just David Carr was going to win. He's wrestling Hunter Willits from Oregon State. Shouldn't have – who would have ever imagined that would have been a close match even to begin with? So, um, yeah, that was my gut reaction. We can hear yours, Jackie, and then we can talk about stalling if we want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh... – I wasn't kidding when I texted you that that was probably the most like heartbreaking, like most devastating loss I had seen in my five years of covering the team. Um, sounds really dramatic. I try not to sound so dramatic, but it was, I was like you, like you just recapped the match. It was just one of those where I was like, Oh, he's going to get it this time. Oh, he's going to, he's going to get it this time. And then he did it. And I was just, yeah, my mouth was open. Chris, C-Dub and I were texting and we were both just like, just what the heck? <laughs> and it just, oh, just heartbreaking. And I guess you and I talked a big game last week about upsets are hard. And then we watched it happen to Iowa State, which really sucks because you, you know, it's better to cover a team or talk about a team when they're winning. Um, this guy, Hunter Willits, you know, he gets to walk away, even though he lost to, uh, Will Luan next for Michigan. He gets to say that he won a match against David Carr, gave David his first loss and lost. And like you said, 55 matches, which is insane when it comes to the stalling dresser, I think said it best for all for the rest of us when he said the refs didn't really necessarily do us any favors but we're not going to make excuses because that's how I felt about it I definitely I definitely believe there's an argument for stalling you should not win a match by holding a man or, or an or a wrestler I shouldn't say a man holding a wrestler <laughs> at arm's length and backing up for more than even if it's just like for a split second you got to readjust your feeling yourself fine whatever but this wasn't like a, a quick two seconds this was like going on for a while but i also see the argument where this is david carr david carr has wrestled guys who try and force a match where there's like no wrestling done in the hopes that they're not going to get 
tech fault or major decision. So there's argument that you can say that David should have done more or built, built up opportunities for himself to get a takedown or escaped um, in those situations. So I see both sides of it, but I really just don't love watching a guy hold him out that far and back up and the refs don't say anything. And this isn't just a, a David Carr co- conversation because there was plenty of situations this weekend where we needed to all be re-educated on what is considered stalling. Yeah, there was a few in the championship matches where even guys like Jordan Burroughs, who is at the pinnacle of wrestling, he's like, so what is, what are stall, what's stalling? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's very, very vague right now. Um, I think it'd be interesting to see if the NCAA could come out with um, verbiage and legislation that would more clearly define it. And here's the thing about Carr is I, I almost agree with the ref that Willits wasn't necessarily stalling. He was backing up. Absolutely. But I think the reason I feel that way and we'll get in, I can talk about this too, but um, David Carr wasn't necessarily forcing the action. Yes, he was going forward, but he wasn't chaining shots together. He wasn't getting heavy snaps. He wasn't pushing and pulling. He wasn't necessarily doing those things. I think that's one of the things where Brett Metcalf as a wrestler, say what you will about him, is he forced the action. If if you weren't going to wrestle him, he was going to force stalling calls and he was going to force the action. I'm not sure we saw that from David Carr. I'm not sure that we saw him force the action against Willits. And I think in that respect... I kind of understand why the ref didn't call Willits for stalling because I'm not sure Carr was forcing the action. Yes, Willing was Willits was backing up. I absolutely could I concede that point. Very true. If you want to say that just backing up is stalling, sure, I get it. But I'd like backing up and forcing the action, I think, is where you really get stalling. And I'm not sure that David Carr forced enough action to warrant two stalling calls, three stalling calls, whatever. So that's just my view of it. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's not a super educated view. Maybe I'm wrong. But from that perspective, from my perspective, I see why the ref didn't necessarily call stalling because I'm not sure David forced enough action. I mean, I I agree with you in that the ref could have called stalling on both of them, but it I'm not. Won't. No, I'm not. I don't think he could have called it on Carr because Carr was moving forward. I'm just not sure. I think Carr has to force action to force the stall call on Willits. It was just, it was just weird. It was honestly weird to watch. We're so used to like, we're so used to watching a very aggressive car, like constantly shoot, constantly force his guys um, to wrestle him or just honestly, um, sometimes give up, you know? And he just didn't look like himself. And I understand the rest of his matches, why he wouldn't look like himself. Like he truly didn't look like the, you know, like when he starts wrangling guys around, he didn't really do that until that third place match. And I, I understand why after losing, he would kind of stiffen up, but he was stiff in that one. And I just, I wish I could have known what went through his head and, for very obvious reasons, no one talked to David after that, uh, though that session, but it was just, yeah, it was very weird. That was kind of like also my main takeaway is that I felt like I didn't know who I was watching wrestle. Yeah, it didn't, it, you're right. You're absolutely right. It didn't look like an, the David car we'd expect to see. And is some of that, the, the stage, the bright lights, the NCAA tournament, was he 
feeling a little bit conservative, like, Hey, just get through this match and we can open up on the next one. I don't know. It's, it's really tough to say psychology is a really weird thing. Obviously David Carr has a great, great mind and his father has helped instill that in him. But I mean, sometimes pressure gets to us all. I'm not saying that's what happened, but David Carr didn't look like the David Carr that we have come to know. And I think even he would admit to that. Yeah. In his, uh, in his interviews after all of wrestling was done, you know, he's in third, he's officially finished in third place. He admitted to uh, the media that, you know, going, going back to his hotel after that was like the worst night of his life was the way he described it. And I can only imagine for a guy like David, how hard that is to process, especially because of what's on the line, you know, when it comes to someone like David, you know, like my entire story about him last season was what it meant to him to continue the legacy of the, you know, of being Nate Carr's son, but to also want to one up his father. And to a guy like David, you know, not winning means he just lost that. He still has a chance to go and do really big things and continue on that legacy, but this and this isn't discrediting other people, but in David Carr's case, there's just a little more on the line for him. And so that, that was kind of, I could imagine how hard that was for him. And I brought this up to you um, earlier, but in, in that interview, if you guys want to watch any of these there, I have them up on the site, they're on the Cyclone Fanatic YouTube. Uh, David said, you know, he was transparent that he did not want to wrestle the rest of his matches. He just didn't want to do them but he found the strength. He's a very, uh, he's a big person of God and said he found, you know, strength in God to get through the bracket. And he won six straight to finish yeah. third. And, you know, I think it's, I don't know if it's an ironic thing or dresser has been preaching all season in that the toughest guys wrestle for third and several guys have used that in interviews. Marcus Coleman has been big on it too. He and I talked a lot about it at big 12s. Um, the, the guys have said that this is a big recruiting thing he likes to look at is just, you know, guys who can are able to do that. Well, now David Carr has done that. Iowa State's like star child <laughs> has now shown how you can go and win that when you really, really don't want to. Yeah. I talked about his mentality um, in his second match, his mentality throughout the, the constellation side of the bracket yeah, like you said, he didn't he had a hard time wanting to be there. But all the credit to David, he was there against high-level opponents. It's not like he had to walk in the park through the back side of the bracket. He had Wyatt Sheets from Oklahoma State, who I believe is an all-American last year. He had Caleb Young from Iowa, who is a very good wrestler. He had Jared Franick from North Dakota State, who is an all-American last year. And then he had Will Lewin from Michigan, who I don't know if he was an All-American necessarily, but he was ranked in the top 10 this year. So his path through the consolation side of the bracket included a lot of high-level wrestlers. And say what you will, yeah, David Carr didn't win those matches 10-2, to 13-3, whatever. He won those matches against high-level opponents when he necessarily didn't want to be there. Is He even admitted it like, hey, I did not want to wrestle those matches. Credit to him, he did. He won those matches. And then, like you said, in that third place match, he really opened it up against Peyton Robin, Nebraska, beat him to seven to two. And that was the David Carr that I think we all expected to see in these later rounds 
And it's the one that we saw in the third place match, which I mean, unfortunate that it's in the third place match, but it was great to see. Yeah. And like, when you look at how he ended up, how he ended the weekend, David still like cracked records, you know, like regardless of that, he became the 35th three timer in ISU history when it comes to being a three time all American. Um, I think there was another one I'm trying to see. Um, David Carr got the 1600th all time win during yeah. the weekend. Yep. Like David just continues to just be an incredible staple to the Iowa state wrestling program. And I think when it comes to David this weekend, we learned so much about him. And probably so much more about him had he just wrestled his way through that championship bracket. And in um in his post uh w- post win interview with ESPN reporter or the NCAA reporter, um, he said uh, that his dad had been telling him like you're going to be better because of this. And I truly believe that. I truly believe that this is going to impact David in a way that you know, right now feels very negative to him, but I think long-term wise, this is going to be a really good. And I, I, that feels weird saying it, but I think this is going to impact him in a really positive way later on, way later on. <laughs> yeah. And I agree with that hundred percent. Nate Carr, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, phenomenal leader, coach, mentor, um, father, obviously um, he was a three-time NCAA championship champion. So he fell short once in the 1988 Seoul Olympic games. He was an Olympic bronze medalist. He fell short there. If there's anyone that knows about, um, coming back, learning from things, it's Nate Carr and coming back better because of things that happened. So, uh, yeah, the car, the whole car mentality in that family is phenomenal. Um, I have no doubt that David Carr will, become it will come back better next year and really he took he took ncaa by storm this year i could see him doing even better next year um one thing dresser said in it and this was actually about coleman um he said like (laughs) in dresser fashion he said i like guys who cry (laughs) (laughs) because he was talking about how and this is this will be a good transition when we get there but he was talking about how he found Coleman crying last season and Coleman has talked about this. He found Coleman crying under the bleachers. And I saw a tweet somewhere this weekend that said real men come out of the bleachers because that's where a lot of the athletes go, where they get to be alone away from like fans. And they get that kind of like private time almost. And that is where Coleman, you know, felt that defeat that ultimately has led him to where he is now. Um, And I think, like Dresser has always said, you learn the most about your athletes and you learn the most about yourself when you lose. And I think this is exactly where we're at with David. And in a weird way, I'm just like excited to see, you know, how he jumps back from this. And I appreciate bringing up the Nate Carr losses because, yeah, Nate Carr is an incredibly encouraging person. Every time I talk to him, I feel like I could solve all the problems in my life and <laughs> be an incredible, happy person every day, all day, because he is just, he is an awesome guy. And I'm glad they brought him in to the program because multiple guys have always said that um, 
like Coleman and Julian Broderson have said that like the, what did they call them? They get these like workouts, quote unquote workouts, their mental workouts with Nate Carr. And I'm sure he's just doing wonders for these guys to be encouraged. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good, good note to end on for David Carr. <laughs> Agreed. Um, but speaking of, like I said, Dresser loves guys who cry. <laughs> oh, I love Dresser. Coleman finished an All-American, which was a big goal of his. Um, happy to see him accomplish that, even though he maybe didn't quite finish how he wanted. But I guess that's kind of a theme, unfortunately. Um, super happy for Coleman to be able to finish um, an All-American. Uh, how do you feel about Coleman's performance this weekend? Yeah, I thought he was pretty phenomenal throughout the tournament. Um he may have lost earlier than I maybe expected, but he also went back on the backside, the consolation side of the bracket, and he rolled through um, the backside of the bracket. He had an incredible match against um, Dakota Gear of Oklahoma State. He won won that one 18-3, and that was <laughs> – those guys spent so much time on their back in that match that that was that was a lot of scoring, that 18-3 match against Dakota Gear. <laughs> um, and then in the – the blood round against uh, Munoz of Oregon state. He put it on him 13 to two. That was great to see uh, gets to the seventh place match wins the seventh place match, convincingly eight to three uh, Coleman went in as the eight seed. So he wrestled above his seed. And then when you look at who else wrestled in the other matches, Parker Keckheisen, number four seed finishes third. Okay. Fair. The number three seed um, Hidley from North Dakota or not North Dakota state, North Carolina state, he finished fifth as a number three seed. So I think Coleman slotted in great at the seventh seed. I wouldn't expect anything more. I didn't expect anything less. Um, I thought he had a great tournament. He looked really, really good. I wasn't sure how he was going to perform, especially coming off of the news that his grandfather died during the big 12 championships, um, which was obviously he wrestled through that, which was impressive. I wasn't sure if what was going to change between now and then with that and he seemed to be in a really good place and he finished seventh as an all American. And I thought that was a great result for him. Well, he said in weekly availability that, you know, he was able to go to the Memorial, spend time with his family for a second um, before really hitting that training hard. And he essentially said, I'm going to put the full, you know, morning on the backside and I'm just going to focus. And I'm sure being able to see his family and kind of get, some time to process through that together before he kind of went back to the weight room was probably really therapeutic versus kind of getting thrown out on the mat after you find out the news. But I also felt pretty good about Coleman. I just really, he definitely has made an argument for himself as a bonus point person. He always, I shouldn't say always, but more often than not, he's winning by major decision um, he's also very notorious for getting pins, um, which makes him just so fine. Like dresser says, these guys are performers. And I think Coleman is definitely a performer. Um, that 18 to 13 match had me pretty just on the edge of my seat, which is great is what we want from these guys. Um, good to see him come out on top. Uh, like he said, I think I'm just glad he finished as an all American. That's really the one thing I was looking for from him and 
he did that. So like you said, met my expectations. Yeah. I thought he had a great tournament, just all things considered. Which same thing can be said for younger Bastida who first time at the tournament comes in and just, you know, all American finish and finishes in fifth place and had, um, a really good last match. Like not only does he get the win, but gets a pin in two minutes and 29 seconds. Yeah. First period pin in the, in the fifth place match. That's, that's really impressive stuff. And he's not, he's not necessarily a pinner either, but when you saw that action happen, he got that ankle pick. He still had control of the guy's upper body and you just saw him go straight to his back. It's like, Oh, he's going to pin the guy. And he just, it took him a while. The guy credit to him, uh, Hoffman from Ohio state. He stayed off his back. He was arching his back, arching his neck, stayed off it for a good, it felt like minute, but eventually, uh, that pressure, especially from a guy as strong as younger Bastida is going to wear into you. And maybe a little tug of the headgear may have contributed to it. I'm not going to say whether or not it, did or it didn't, but, um, I think that only, uh, quickened how quickly the pin happened. I think he was going to get pinned no matter what it just, maybe the headgear helped a little bit. It was mostly just a matter of when, <laughs> you know, and I don't know. I, I watched the video and I could almost make an argument that he was pinned before the headgear, but you could make that argument. I agree with you there. <laughs> you could make that argument. If you don't know what we're talking about, there may or may not be a video on Twitter somewhere where Bastina just, you know, did a nice little tug on his opponent's headgear which is illegal, by the way, for those very, very casual fans. You can't exactly grab your opponent's headgear and pull it down or grab it or anything. And, you know, Iowa State has been using an example twice of why there needs to be no headgear in college wrestling. Because Ian Parker was going going strong for a takedown, right? It Was, was it a takedown in his arm? Or his opponent's arm got, like, stuck in Parker's headgear. Did that happen this tournament? Was it this tournament or was it last weekend? I don't remember. I thought it was this one. It could have been. I don't remember that specifically happening, but I was also technically at work for the first part of that tournament. So I feel like I may have missed that one. Well, I, who, anyone listening, tweet at us. (laughs) I'm sure someone knows for sure, but I swear that happened this weekend. But yeah, it's the videos out there on Twitter. There are some arguments. It is what it is. Bastila won. Like, this isn't really. He was going to win no matter what. And like Jackie said, you could have made the argument he should have won earlier. Yeah, I saw, some, I saw some other responses. Someone was like, he was just helping a guy out. Like, he was just, <laughs> he was, he was just helping him get it off already. Yeah, he was helping him take off his headgear. I but... do want to give credit to Iowa State Wrestling, though, because they showed a, an angle of the video where you can't see him pull down the headgear. And it's like, oh, good for you, Iowa State. I wasn't sure how you're going to find video of, <laughs> of that one and not show the headgear, but they did. They found it. So credit to Iowa State Wrestling and finding that video because from that angle, it looks like the cleanest pin you've ever seen. You know, I nothing but respect. Iowa State Wrestling account has been great this season. Shout out to you guys for that work. Um, yeah, that was just, like I said, Regardless, he was winning, which is super exciting. Um, I'm very happy for him. I can only imagine what this does for 
his already, he already had very high confidence of himself. And in his post-match interviews, he said, I don't have the exact quote right now, but he essentially said like, well, I guess he did directly say, I'm not satisfied with fifth place, (laughs) which is great. I'm really glad, you know, that's what you want to hear your guys say. Um, You should never want him to just be satisfied because he was there. Um, But yeah, great finish from him. I also loved the video I clipped in. I posted it on my Twitter, but where Dresser kind of stepped into the side of the interview and Bastida was asked um, by Cody from the register just about his toughness and his training. And he credited his toughness to Dresser. And he even said, this guy is killing me or this guy kills me Um, in all the training he has Vestita doing. So I thought that was a, it's a fun clip. You can see his personality and dressers laughing in the corner. So it's a, it's a fun video. Um, You don't tend to see Vestita in a lot of uh, media. And he was this time, I think they got like two minutes. So a lot of great stuff from him. He definitely is ready to prove himself. I would love to see him be able to get a win over Steven Buchanan, who is just a <laughs> uh, thorn in his side. Uh, yeah. Steven Buchanan's from Wyoming. Bastida has lost to him. What now? Three, three times this year, three times. Yeah. Gosh. It, he's, he's, uh, <laughs> he's Jarrett Dagan's Willie McDougald. <laughs> he is. And Rocky Elam. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, if I can, I'd like to talk about Bastida's path because I mean, he didn't yes. exactly have a, a smooth path to the fifth-place match. His first match was actually against Braxton Amos from Wisconsin, who is a junior world gold medalist. So in the junior division, he was the best guy in the world, including Russians, Iranians, all of them. So um, Braxton Amos, not exactly a slouch, and younger Bastida beat him 3-2. to two. Second round, he got his best friend Rocky Elam. <laughs> uh, he beat Rocky twice earlier this season. Unfortunately, lost this one one to zero. Uh, that disappointing, but it is what it is. Rocky is obviously a very, very strong competitor. Um, and then backside of the bracket, he the only match that younger Bastida really looked like he was the superior competitor, which he's looked all season in most matches, um, was against Smith from Maryland, and he won that match quite handily, eleven to four. Uh, and then he got Cordell Norfleet from Arizona State, who was an All-American last year, beat Norfleet 4-2. to two. That was really, really promising. Then he got his other best friend, um, Jake Woodley, <laughs> from Oklahoma, who was undefeated against younger Bastida. Younger had never beaten Jake Woodley. And Bastida finally got over this hump, uh, beat him 5-4. to four. And then Bastida wrestled Buchanan, who he's never beat. And unfortunately that remained the case. Buchanan beat him four to three. One of these times, man, I think younger is going to get over the hump and he'll beat Buchanan. Buchanan's a junior. He'll be back next year. Um, so that'll be fun matches. I hope Wyoming's going to be on the schedule again next year, just so we can get at least two more matches out of younger and Buchanan, because I'm assuming they'd probably meet in the big 12s again. Maybe not. Maybe one of them is on AJ Ferrari's side, but um, oh, gosh, yeah, he's coming back forget? next year. How probably. could I forget? Yeah. So, and then the fifth place match, uh, beat Hoffman from Ohio State, like we mentioned, talk playing about by fall. And that was a great result. That's a good way to get fifth. You know, and the thing with uh, Rocky Elam and Stephen Buchanan is they wrestled for third place. Yeah. So like a sentiment to the Big 12 and a sentiment to Bastida's uh, opponents this season. He's had probably the toughest 
opponents all season, just well, in regular, regular dual season, right? Wasn't it him? Or he yeah, had the no. toughest January, I think it was. Well, the guy he, the Iowa opponent, Warner, was in the championship match, and Younger beat him. So Younger beat the guy who was in the championship match during the dual season. I think this is something Jackie and I have talked about earlier is Younger Basita has all of the ability in the world. When he really learns how to wrestle folk style, and this is something he mentioned in his interview as well, he's going to go, he's not satisfied with fifth, like you said, he's going to go back and he's going to work on his top game to make guys fear him when he's on top. He wants guys <laughs> to feel him. He wants guys to fear him when he's on top. And I think that's awesome. If he learns how to ride, if he gets consistently out from underneath, he's going to be a big, big problem for guys. AJ Ferrari's probably still going to be the top of the class. We'll see how he comes back from his injury. But uh, if if Younger Vestida is able to put things together, he can take down anyone in the country. He's proven that, including AJ Ferrari. He took down AJ Ferrari last year. I believe if they would wrestle this year, he would have taken down AJ Ferrari this year. He can take down anyone in the country. If his mat wrestling gets better, He's going to be right there, maybe contending with AJ Ferrari. Younger Bastida is very, very impressive. It's just all about fine-tuning his folk style wrestling, in my opinion. Literally give me a Younger Bastida, AJ Ferrari championship match at the Big 12s. And with and with Buchanan and with uh uh Buchanan and Bastida meeting in the semifinals. <laughs> yeah, I need that. Oh, that would just be incredible. And in the wrestling fan of myself, like my wrestling fan part, I'm pumped for AJ Ferrari to be back. I would love to witness him in person um, up close since we had to watch that match um, up from the top. Since I tend to be, I guess you're, you're used to being up there. I'm used I, to that. I got used to being down there. Um, that just comes with me taking photos. I get to be Matt side, which Sometimes the cameras end up on me. I get texts from people and <laughs> I try really hard to compose my face. And I, <laughs> I hope sometimes I'm not like caught when I'm like looking a little more expressive than I should. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. 197, I think we'll continue to just regardless of AJ Ferrari. And that's not me saying he's not good. I just think, guys like Steven Buchanan and clearly Rocky Elam, like obviously he's not a pud, <laughs> like he <just> doesn't <laughs> suck. He's obviously a good opponent. Um, I think 197 will continue to be kind of up in the air and competitive. Um, hopefully AJ is, you know, healthy and ready to join the competition once again. And I'm sure he will. He has plenty of time and he's just as much as a competitor as these guys. So it will be an exciting weight class once again. And like I told you earlier, I did, if I had to guess which one of Iowa's guys was going to be the lone champion, the lone guy going into a championship match, it wouldn't have been Warner, but I thought he did regardless of his loss. I thought he fought pretty hard. I don't know if you watched it. I did. Oh yeah. Yep. I, he gave Maxine a match. Yeah. I really admired how hard he worked, especially in that, like the last, I don't even know how many, how many seconds were left, but you watched him look at the time and he realized like, crap, <laughs> this is it. And he just fully threw his body in there and tried his best. And I really enjoy matches like that. <laughs> so shout out to Iowa for only having one guy in the finals. <laughs> Shade. Anyways. <laughs> 
Um, we didn't touch on Joel and Sam Skyler. You know, I think they it was lost. <laughs> no offense you know, to them, but they did. You know, Sam Skyler will be back. Hopefully, he can. You know, get a get a little a little more dominant there. Clean up some of those areas. Yeah, um, I'd like to see him, and we can talk about this next week on our season recap. But I'd like to see him put on ten to twenty pounds of good weight because he's pretty clearly an undersized heavyweight, and I think that can take its toll, especially in a tournament. Well, and I know he has a lot of confidence in being able to move a little more than I mean heavyweights. But like at the end of the day, this is collegiate wrestling, and as much as we like to make jokes about how heavyweights just don't really do much in a match, they do though. You know, they're still doing a lot and. Yeah, I'm I'm sure I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back. If we start seeing pictures of him this summer when they're training where he does get a little bigger cuz yeah, he just looks very small. <laughs> he does look very small compared to some of those guys. Yeah. Which I mean, another match that surprised me. I was surprised to see Cassiope fall to 7. Yeah. Yeah, that is surprising. And who did he to, Wood? I don't even know. Wood from Lehigh, Jordan Wood. Yikes. That's not a terrible loss. Wood was a six seed, I guess, but that's not one that you'd expect Cassiope to lose. Well, you know what he did get to do is avoid Gable Stevenson again. Yeah, he, he got that going for him, which well done. You didn't wrestle him in the Big Ten <laughs> championships. So you gotta you gotta keep avoiding him. Well done, Cassiope. Yeah. I should stop talking. I was yeah, say, Gable Stevenson won the national championship. That was awesome to see. Nobody better be mad at us for mentioning this. There was a lot of wrestling, but yeah, Gable Stevenson. Like I said last week, I was super sad. I couldn't be there. I, I'm, I wasn't like crying or anything, but I did kind of feel like a tinge of emotion, <laughs> just emotional watching him uh, take his shoes off and leave him on the mat. That was a pretty, you know, something he had said he was going to do and incredible wrestler. And, Shout out to Minnesota for being able to be the, the school that has Gable Stevenson. And Gable's a good example also that no one was untouchable in this tournament because he hadn't been taken, been physically taken down all season, and he was. Yeah, Lucas Davison from Northwestern, the guy that beat Sam Skyler in the first round, he took down Gable Stevenson. So that's one of those things like Willits um, beating Carr and Davison taking down Stevenson. They might be wrestling trivia questions here in five, 10, 15 years. Who was <laughs> the last actually, guy to take down Gable Stevenson? Oh, it's that Davison guy. Who was the last guy to beat Carr? Oh, it's that Willits guy. So shout out to those two guys. They might be wrestling trivia here. You know, that's a good point. I hope they bring that out sometime because you know very well that if you and I are in a trivia group, we're going to be like the only people who can answer that. <laughs> um, oh. You know, overall, I think, you know, the guys were all in good spirits um, when they were interviewed. Um, unfortunately, they did not finish as a team where we thought they would. Um, they ended up finishing in 17th place with 37 points behind Princeton. Um, notable other finishes, Oklahoma State finished in 14th place. John Smith is probably still angry throwing things <laughs> for that one. Uh, unfortunately for our good pals, Northern Iowa, they finished in 20th. 
Um, yeah. Penn State did Penn State things and won. I think they, they sure did. They are was, incredible in the finals. My goodness. When's the last time they lost a finals match? <laughs> uh i wish i knew i knew they had what was it three guys win four they had four at least i think um um which one this is a good thing to bring up so david carr you know was feeling pretty down um he mentioned that he has a very close friendship and this was like known five, um, five Penn state. Sorry. Keep going. No, literally five. My God. Yeah. Shout, shout out to Penn state with all the pain and all the pain in my soul. Um, but no, David has a really great relationship with a Penn state guy, which is Brooks who went on to win at um, 184 pounds. David said that Brooks went to his hotel room to kind of check in and, you know, encourage him. And they prayed together. And when Brooks was doing his post win interview, um, David ran into the shot, kind of stole him before he went in and did his full interview. And they like hugged and shared a moment together. So that was one of my biggest takeaways from this weekend was just how encouraging these guys are of each other. And I think David being there to go hug his friend who just won a title is a sentiment to just what an encouraging guy David Carr is. Um, and that was like my favorite uh, takeaway from just the way this team has grown and definitely we'll get into it next week, but the video, the Iowa state shared on Twitter of Coleman and Carr were waiting yes. for Bastida in the yep. back, back in the like tunnel. Um, we're waiting for him after he officially became an all American and they just all embraced each other. And they looked so happy and then they just kind of walked out and it just, it's just one of those where in the highs and the lows, they were together. And if we're being frank, as much as this program has come a long way, like I don't think I've seen this team trust and support each other in the way they have right now as a collective. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Um, the 17th is obviously... Um, when we gave our predictions, we said that was going to be on the low end of what we'd expect. Um, yep. And I think if guys like Jarrett Dagan, Ian Parker, Kyson, Sam Schuyler, if they each win a match, then suddenly Iowa State finishes up by Oklahoma State and Ohio State. And that sounds a lot better. It's still in the 13-14 mm-hmm. range, but you're next to some big names and not, no offense, not sandwiched between <laughs> Princeton and North Carolina. Yeah. So uh, a few win a few extra matches and suddenly this season looks a lot better or the postseason the tournament looks a lot better but um, yeah three All Americans impressive David Carr finishing third the fact that he finished third impressive how he finished third impressive mm-hmm. getting third obviously we expected him to get first but um, all the credit to him for being able to wrestle back for six straight matches to get third. That in, and of, that in and of itself is very, very impressive. So um, definitely some disappointments along the way. But overall, I think um, when you when you take into account to what happened during the tournament, um, relatively successful. Three All-Americans is nothing to sneeze at. No, it was definitely one of those where it's like you walk out of it like, yes, I was take out those three All-Americans. That's huge. That was like the first time since... God, what was it like? 2014, okay. um, Earl Hall, 
Leland Weatherspoon and old Patrick Downey, James Patrick Downey the third. That's a name you haven't heard in a while, huh? Iowa State fans. I honestly, <clears throat> excuse me. Wow, lost my voice there talking about it. But it sounded like Ots. Hope his voice is uh, cured or healed <laughs> by Friday, because poor guy, if he has to do another interview on the court. Oh, um, yeah. No, haven't heard his name in a while. Probably since he apparently missed a flight to his matchup with stalemates, but that's, that's a story for another time. Um, yeah. Huge accomplishment. Kevin Dresser should definitely be proud of that accomplishment. Definitely a lot to kind of clean up there um, in the postseason because we are finally at a place where we get to say Iowa state being 17th is unacceptable. Yeah. It's disappointment. And that's we good. Expected, I think, and it's fair to expect, and we expected more. <clears throat> expected the top ten finish, and unfortunately, that didn't happen. But they get to come back and do it next year. Uh, Iowa State, if you look at it, we'll talk about it next week. Only <laughs> loses half a team point out of this year's team. Mm-hmm. So a lot, most of every all the teams coming back. We'll see if some lineup changes happen. Could David Carr go up to 165 pounds? He's going to stay at 157. Who fills in for the two guys that are leaving? Does Iowa State bring in a transfer to at some weights? We'll have to wait and see. But um, yeah, next year you're only losing half a team point, and if, if progression happens, you expect guys like Younger, Kyson, Marcus, um, Zach Redding will probably be back in the lineup. Ramazan Adesaya. We expect those guys to maybe take a next step. So um, yeah, conversation next week. But the future I think is still very bright for Iowa State, even if this is a quote unquote disappointing finish. And there's just like so many, so many good recruiting things yeah, coming this up. Recruiting class is pretty impressive. Um, that's definitely like a podcast we could just do solely talking about those guys because, you know, they're improving and picking up guys that maybe people thought they would go elsewhere, but yeah, yeah. Blue ch- like true blue chip guys, like David Carr level, maybe not David Carr level blue chip. That's unfair to those guys. But true blue chip wrestler recruits, they are, they have all the accolades you could want. Yeah. So losing half a point is not, is a, is a big thing. And I guess the best way I can put it for like casual fans is, I don't know how, what, what can we compare it to? Just, I don't know, football getting a lot of their starters back. Yeah. It's like the football team. And this might not be a great example because they underperformed this year, but it's like the football team. They essentially returned all of their players, except um, who didn't they return from this last year's team? Um, They lost an offensive lineman, I think. Oh, it's been a long time since I I'm like drawing a blank here. Um, They lost a a safety. I know that they had Greg Eisworth, but they lost the other one um, whose name I do not remember. Apologies to that guy. This I'm is why tr- it's a wrestling podcast. Yeah, I truly just like don't remember. But yeah, I just want you guys to understand, like, for those of you who are casually tuning in, you know, this is huge. You know, they scored 37 points in of the guys coming back. Yeah. yeah. So that's big. Um, exciting stuff. Uh, ben, do you have any final thoughts? No, but now I'm going to go look up who I the Iowa State football <laughs> team lost coming into this year. So. Oh, geez. Apologies, everyone. Apologies. <laughs> I hope sucks. you still enjoyed the podcast. I hope this didn't ruin everything for you. <laughs> it ruined my night, but that's okay. 
hopefully we didn't talk for too long. I, I forgot to hit that timer. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, as always, thank you to our sponsor, uh, fairway, uh, as always appreciative of people who invest in our, in our favorite sport. And of course, in the content and cycling fanatic, uh, like Ben and I have been mentioning, we'll definitely still be back next week to kind of recap, uh, higher level stuff for the entire season for the team, kind of get into those little tangents that we hold ourselves back on when we're trying to recap action. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for joining us and Lawrence white. Oh, there it is. Lawrence white was the safety I was thinking of. (laughs) That's not, yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that, but also thank you fairway. Sorry to interrupt. (laughs) No, this is what, you know, built character. Got to show personality. This, (laughs) This is who we are. Um, I had an example. I, I don't want to keep us going, but I had an example to Chris of, oh, gosh, dang it. I just love me. I'll tell you later. I just love being able to, you know, show our personalities to people who don't tend to get to see us. Um, but anyways, yeah, thanks to Fairway. We'll be back next week. Um, yeah, thanks for tuning in.